At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston coming to you on demand from Buffalo, New York, in the time of coronavirus. Again, or excuse me, prevailing circumstances. Circumstances are still prevailing. These circumstances are still growing at an exponential rate with no end in sight, at least here as I record this on Friday, March 27th, 2020, here in the midst of a worldwide set of prevailing circumstances. But I hope you've washed your hands. I hope you've got your hand sanitizer nearby because we may be going into some depth today because I've been spending the day deep inside an Excel spreadsheet modeling out the effects to W's revenue that these prevailing circumstances may have as, as the months possibly go on here with no live attendances, no live audiences. But in other news, Vince McMahon has sold more WWE stock. We'll try to unpack that. Some speculation among at least one analyst about whether or not WWE's pay-per-view rights deal uh, may not be happening at all. We'll go over some viewership numbers. WrestleMania 30 aired on ESPN on Sunday night. And we'll look at how Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW are holding up. Triple H, Paul Levesque has a new corporate title. I think we talked about this last week. But if you've been to WrestleLongs.com, you'll have some, some further thoughts about the issue. Speaking of which, WrestleLongs.com has been revamped again. And I think this is the best incarnation yet, if I do say so myself. I was previously posting some written stuff on the old Patreon account just for free. But I figured to make things more accessible and easier to find. All that's just going to be on WrestleLongs.com in sort of a blog post form. All the resources, all the links are still there. You can find my Showbuzz Daily spreadsheet in there. You can find WCW Pay-Per-View Buys information. WWE Pay-Per-View Buys information. And the infamous paid WrestleMania attendance spreadsheet. So go to WrestleLongs.com and gaze in awe of the stats and numbers and so forth and things of that nature. That notwithstanding, this is the 100th episode of WrestleNomics Radio, well, sort of, at least uh, in, in this carnation of WrestleNomics. This is the 100th ep- episode. I'm sure Chris Harrington did a number of WrestleNomics podcast episodes before I joined him, but I think this is the 100th since I started doing it. So it's pretty amazing to think that I've done 100 of these, really, more, I guess more than 100 if you count the, the premium just for 
Patreon supporters podcasts that Mookie and I used to do. But 100, you know, when it comes to wrestling economic analysis, I used to be just a writer and didn't really do audio at all. Was scared to death of doing it and still scared to death of doing it. But somehow here I am talking to myself into the ether for supposedly thousands of you to download into your smartphones. Hopefully I will make another obvious factual error in this episode so we can get a new measurement of just how many listeners we have. Tweet me at WrestleNomics. But anyway, the big news, Roman Reigns has pulled out of his match at WrestleMania against Bill Goldberg. That news was broken last night by Ryan Satin, who reported Roman Reigns has pulled out of the match that was set to take place to be taped at the Performance Center because he's immunocompromised from his battle with leukemia and didn't want to risk his health. David Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio reported that Reigns would be replaced by Braun Strowman to take on Goldberg. But in Satin's article on Pro Wrestling Sheet, he notes that Stephanie McMahon told Variety about the details of the safety precautions that WWE is taking as they film matches at the Performance Center. This includes taking people's temperatures, Satin writes, and making sure that they're in perfect health before entering the WWE Performance Center, as well as not allowing anyone inside who has been out of the country. That's right. WWE is making sure that their talent is in perfect health before they enter the Performance Center. An interesting characterization by one Ryan Satin. Anyway, in the Variety article that is being referenced, Stephanie says that nobody is just milling about at catering like usual. There's none of that. That's not allowed, Stephanie says. There's extensive testing and screening. And when you first come in the facility, regardless of whether you're a talent, a crew member, or anyone else, working with our doctors, you have to have your temperature taken. If you have a temperature of over 100.4 degrees, you're automatically asked to leave, Stephanie says. She goes on. She says, we're taking every precaution we can. It's also why you don't see talent or anyone else in the audience. We are really adhering to all the guidelines that we can to maintain the health and safety of our crew and our performers. So who, who knows, maybe she had in mind the fact that AEW did have talent in the audience for their first week of running at Daly's Place in an empty building. The Variety article notes that the Orange County mayor, where Orlando was located, has issue, issued a two-week order to begin Thursday night for everyone to stay home. That began Thursday night, and according to someone with knowledge of the situation, W has taped multiple episodes worth of content as well as the entirety of WrestleMania. And then the article ends with this magic quote, from Stephanie McMahon. And even before I go to this, I should say, I think it is interesting that Stephanie McMahon is the one that's chosen to talk to the press about this issue, about the, the coronavirus or the uh, the prevailing circumstances that W is facing, rather than say, I don't know, Vince or Triple H. She is probably the best one to deliver that message without coming off uh, abrasive or something. And she is the chief brand officer. But anyway, the quote is, W is fan first, McMahon says. We are all about providing content for our fans, providing an experience for them that is worthy of their passion. They come first. Everything we do, we do through a lens of how can we best serve our fans? And I have to say that that is definitely a statement that absolutely asserts a uh, truly powerful declaration. So, but enough about the fans. WrestleMania brought to you by Snickers uh, will also not feature, according to PW Insider, Murphy formerly known as Buddy Murphy. Mike Johnson says he was not cleared to appear, and that seems to be all that he knows. Wrestling Inc. is reporting that Asuka will not be appearing on WrestleMania either. Wrestling Inc. also reporting Cesaro is out. Either of these absences could be injury-related, but who knows. But last week, we know Dana Brooke was quarantined, staying at home. Rey Mysterio quarantined, staying at home as of last week. According to Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio this morning, The Miz was sick, and that was part of the reason why Roman Reigns pulled out of the show. So I will say it seems like a good thing that WB and AEW are taping well ahead. Uh, WB seems to have taped multiple weeks here 
in one sitting this week. Uh, AEW is not talking about what they're taping or how much they're taping, but they do seem to have taped uh, extra content that they can play for uh, maybe weeks. But these companies are playing with fire here, adding an additional risk to people's health beyond the risk that we usually assume when we get in the ring. More than that, but not as important as that, but uh, they're risking some bad press here. You can only imagine the headlines and certainly the puns if some wrestlers come down and test positive for COVID-19 and even transmit it to one another. But hopefully something like that doesn't happen. Wrestling companies get stone cold stunned by coronavirus. I mean, you can imagine. So I spent all day, as I said, in the spreadsheets, trying to map out the possible consequences of prevailing circumstances, otherwise known as COVID-19. And yes, someone is shouting in my headset as I utter that banned word. So I hope to do a video about this soon uh, for YouTube. But to just briefly summarize it here, basically I made an estimate for every month from now until the end of the year to calculate if there are no live events with actual live audiences there, what's the consequence and what does the cost to WWE become? You know, what's the cost that accumulates? I'm only going to deal with revenue for now. Maybe at some point I'll try to tackle net income or other profit metrics, but only dealing with revenue. Uh, first of all, I made an estimate uh, of the full year of 2020 without any coronavirus. We're estimated that uh, WWE roughly makes $1.1 billion in revenue in such a world where coronavirus just disappears. It goes away like a miracle. $1.1 billion in revenue. And then, of course, month by month, assuming there are no live audiences, the cost of COVID-19 becomes greater and greater as the months accumulate. Uh, as far as the parts of business, uh, first of all, by the way, I had to take the, the quarterly estimate that I did for 2020, and then I broke that down into a monthly estimate, you know, accounting for the irregularities in the month of April, because of WrestleMania, accounting for irregularities in December because of the holidays and the holiday tour. Uh, I expected that there would be a Saudi Arabia event six months after after the last one, so that would place it in August, six months from February. But I'm also assuming that they could probably get away with doing a, a Saudi Arabia event as late as November or December because probably the government is flexible with them, let's say. But just for a brief summary, if the quarantine lasts through the month of April, that costs WWE about $40 million in revenue because through April, the segments that really get affected are, of course, live events and venue merch, which could get wiped out completely for the time of the quarantine. I think on-screen ads and sponsorships get affected, affected negatively uh, by about 25%, just maybe due to the economy and the lack of demand for advertising and maybe WWE's lack of ability at that point, maybe to, to sell and to display sponsors. But as month, months go on, I think there are additional downstream effects. I think as months go on, the attrition to the WWE network becomes greater due to just the uncertainty about whether or not WWE will, I don't know, ever be able to tape another match until, until uh, the quarantine is clear. Would WWE have any pay-per-views to even promote? Can they do additional empty arena events? It's uncertain. Maybe, but maybe not. So I'm factoring in an increased attrition of WWE Network subscribers as the months go on in the event that there are no live audiences. I'm factoring in that there would be attrition to WWE's e-commerce business, its merchandise sales online. If there's weaker programming out there to promote the personalities and promote to promote the merchandise that's associated, I'm factoring in a, a, a very similar decline in product licensing, that is uh, WWE's revenue related to the sales of action figures and video games. I don't think the core content rights fees are at risk. Problems would get very serious if they are, but those are guaranteed contracts. And if nothing else, WWE could, I, I imagine, could just continue to deliver library content and continue to deliver old pay-per-view matches that have never been seen on Raw or SmackDown before. And one of the bigger takeaways here is, is if the quarantine it goes through November and maybe 
maybe December as well. If it goes that late, then WWE is out or at least has to postpone uh, the $50 million that they would receive from running a second event in 2020 in Saudi Arabia. That would have a bigger effect, a bigger negative effect at WWE than not running WrestleMania and certainly more than, than running WrestleMania in the capacity that they're going to run it. So losses for most months, I'm estimating between about $12 million and $20 million. The losses get worse as the months go on because of the increased attrition to the WWE Network subscribership and the increased attrition to merchandise sales and e-commerce and product licensing. Months that would exceed even $20 million, though, of course, April, which would be the WrestleMania month. So they're losing on all that ticket revenue the venue merchandise money, and then a second later a month, which I threw into November, which would be $70 million, taking out $50 million for Saudi Arabia and another 20 from other parts of business. So worst case scenario, this costs WWE $218 million in revenue, which could bring WWE under a billion dollars. Hopefully it doesn't go all the way into December though. If uh, maybe this goes into July or August, $80 million, $95 million, still WWE over $1 billion in revenue for the year. You can see uh, this table on the WrestleNomics Twitter account. In other news, Vince McMahon has sold more of his WWE stock. And there seems to be some confusion, or at least I was confused, about just how much stock he has sold. For some reason, Bloomberg has this report here on Tuesday, reporting that Vince McMahon has sold 2.2 million shares to Morgan Stanley with a timestamp of 5.50 p.m. Eastern. 2.26 million shares. And yet WWE published an 8K about 20 minutes before that. That's the timestamp of my email alert, 5.34 p.m., where it says Vince has sold 3.5 million shares. So I made the mistake of thinking that these were two separate sales. It does not appear that they are two separate sales. It appears that they are one sale for as much as 3.5 million shares, or at least it covers as much as 3.5 million shares. This is a complicated stock sale that Vince is making here. Vince has entered into an agreement with a, quote, unaffiliated bank, which later filings make clear that that bank is indeed Morgan Stanley. But Vince and Morgan Stanley have entered into an agreement which is called a variable prepaid forward contract. Vince is pledging these shares. The contract is scheduled to settle on in March 2024, four years away. Until then, Vince retains his dividend rights. He retains his voting power, that is, as it relates to these shares. Vince still has a lot more stock. He still has another 25 million shares, which is about 32% of all shares for WWE. So Vince still owns 32% of the company. However, he retains 70% of the voting power. He still has overwhelming majority of the control of WWE because his shares are special family shares. They're called class B shares that give him 10 times the voting power of a common class A stock. Stephanie also has some of these. Linda has some of these as well. Shane dumped all of his stock long ago. As part of this agreement for pledging all these shares, Vince gets $85 million in cash. And as it turns out, $85 million divided by 3.5 million shares comes out to about $24, which is way less than W shares are valued at on the stock market right now. W shares are $33.80 as of the market close today. So maybe that's how Bloomberg got its 2.26 million shares. Anyway, the terms of the agreement are very complicated. Let's see if we can attempt to understand them. The reporting person, Vince. Pledged 3.5 million shares to secure his obligations under the agreement. He retains his voting power, his ordinary dividend rights. And it sounds like he could even retain those rights if he settles this agreement in cash at some point. So between now and March 2024, there are 15 settlement dates on which Vince will be obligated to deliver to Morgan Stanley 
installments of about 200,000 shares each, or under certain circumstances, Vince may pay an equivalent amount in cash. If on the given settlement date, the price of W shares are equal to or less than $36. But if W shares are between $36 and $65, Vince will give Morgan Stanley 232,000 shares for that settlement date. And if the settlement price is greater than the cap price, the reporting person, Vince, will deliver to the bank, Morgan Stanley, the number of shares of WB's Class A common stock equal to the product of 1, 232,267 shares, or 232,268 shares in the case of the last settlement date, and 2, a fraction of A, the numerator, of which is the sum X of the floor price, and Y, the settlement price minus the cap price, and B, the denominator of which is the settlement price. So that's how a variable prepaid forward sale agreement works. It's all very simple. If you understand it, if you're some sort of accountant, some sort of finance person that gets this stuff, please let me know. Please explain this to me. You can find the SEC filings on WB's corporate website, corporate.w.com. Go into the SEC filings and other documents section. There's an AK, there's a Form 4, there's a Schedule 13D. The Schedule 13D actually contains a 40-some-odd page contract, uh, which contains the agreement between Vince McMahon and Morgan Stanley. But why is Vince cashing out all this money? He already took out $380 million for the XFL. I can only guess that it's related to the XFL as well, maybe to compensate for a lack of revenue that's coming in, or not coming in rather, related to the XFL having to suspend its season. The XFL had to cancel all its games, no more ticket money coming in. Maybe they had TV revenue coming in as well. I think an ad revenue share might have been part of the agreement with the various networks that XFL was broadcasting on. But you've still got employees to to work for you, like Oliver Luck, even though some of you employees are working for the XFL on a limited basis, which Alpha Entertainment, XFL's parent company, is to be compensating WB4 at an unknown rate. And then from there, if you remember WB's Q4 and full year 2019 earnings report, you'll remember that Vince McMahon, just after apparently firing co-presidents George Barrios and Michelle Wilson over their differences in vision, apparently Vince wanted to go ahead and sell pay-per-view rights or sell the WB network maybe, really going against the entire vision of George Barrios and Michelle Wilson. And Vince said right in the conference call that WWE is considering new strategic options for its direct-to-consumer streaming platform. They were considering a new transformative deal. Vince said he was in talks with the majors about selling W content, apparently the pay-per-views, to major streaming par- partners, maybe Peacock, maybe ESPN+, maybe Amazon was rumored. Dave Meltzer was reporting that WWE was talking to ESPN+, that maybe WWE would get a deal like UFC has with ESPN+, where ESPN+, Plus is the exclusive pay-per-view provider for UFC events. Or maybe NBC Universal, the parent company of USA Network, who's about to launch the Peacock streaming service, would be interested in buying pay-per-view rights as well. Analyst Laura Martin of Needham speculated that maybe Jeff Bezos of Amazon would want to purchase the WWE Network, maybe make it an add-on on Amazon Prime Video. I did a model and I estimated that WWE pay-per-views could be worth as much as $160 million to a major streaming player uh, per year. You can find that uh, analysis and that estimate at WrestleNomics.com. $160 million, just just $100 million per year for pay-per-views. Even if you take them off the network, I estimated would increase the profitability of WB as a company. Vince said on the earnings call that such a deal could be done by Q1. That's how far along we are. Q1, that ends March 31st. Maybe they would have that deal done by WrestleMania. Maybe the first... Pay-per-view on this streaming partner would be WrestleMania. But then prevailing circumstances occurred. The latest I've heard, Dave Meltzer reported that ESPN Plus and WWE were in negotiations, but that the number 
the amount of money that they were negotiating for was way off. Vince wanted way more money, wanted more than UFC got. UFC reportedly got $150 million average annual value. Meltzer reporting, W wanted more than that. Anyway, the prevailing circumstances, coronavirus pandemic has taken over the world. And that seems to have greatly interrupted whatever negotiations were taking place. And now in an analysis of W stock that came out on Wednesday from Loop Capital Markets, from analyst Alan Gould, he writes that this transformative deal is looking unlikely in Gould's report, which downgraded uh, Loop Capital's price target for W stock from $36 down to $30. Gould writes, management discussed a potential transformative deal presumably selling the W network to a large streaming company. The expectation was that if a deal were struck, it would occur in the first quarter prior to WrestleMania 36, which begins on April 4th. Also, we do not believe Mr. McMahon would be entering a prepaid forward contract on 15% of his shares in front of such an announcement. So Gould there saying that if W was about to strike and make official, finalize a big streaming deal for its pay-per-view rights or to sell the W network, maybe Vince wouldn't be selling these shares as he is right now, which we just discussed a moment ago. Would that be insider trading or not? I don't know. Illegal insider trading. I don't know. If you have some education and understanding of that, let me know. So here, Vince may be left with the W network as it is for now. Of course, there's a great deal of uncertainty in the market in just about every business that exists. And I don't think, if I were to speculate, I don't think that a, a deal is going to get done anytime soon for pay-per-view rights. Although I wouldn't rule it out at any time in the future, in the next year or so, it, it could just be that maybe when the world gets back to normal and things settle down, however many months that takes, I think we'll still be living in a world that has a great deal of value for live content, live sports-like content, like WWE has lots of, and WWE's most premium content is its pay-per-views, and there will still be major streamers out there battling for eyeballs and for time. And they would be at a benefit if they had WWE's pay-per-views. Although I do think there is a risk that comes with that when you take the pay-per-views off the W network. I think it does present a breakpoint for fans if that transition is not done carefully. But moving on, we'll talk about Triple H's new corporate title. No longer is he the executive vice president of Talent Live Events and Creative. He is now the executive vice president of Global Talent Strategy and Development as of February 2020. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, this message from Paul Levesque from the 2018 WB Business Partner Summit. All that talent is feeding our fans global appetite for WWE. But yet, even with all we've done, the great thing about the WWE Universe, they continue to want more. So what does that mean for the future? One, it means I got a lot of work to do. We got to find a way to transform the current pathway into a superhighway. We're going to do it through what I call global localization. Yes, I made that term up. Don't think about stealing it. I'm trademarking it as we speak. Global localization, where we're going into individual markets around the world. We will create scaled versions of the template we've created. Organizing tryouts, recruiting talent, establishing performance centers, and building on the ground NXT-style brands. You can already see this template starting to take shape in the UK. We have the talent. We have a UK championship, and now we're ready to give those fans more. We envision NXT-style promotions, not just for fans in Europe, the Middle East, but also India, South America, more. It's the same grassroots territory feeder system that existed before, except now, not on a national level, on a global level, and all under the WWE banner. So 
I've been listening to more discussion lately about whether W Executive Vice President Paul Vack, otherwise known as Triple H, was actually demoted. So W's annual release of its proxy statement, its 2019 proxy statement, was released this month, March, a few weeks ago, and it showed that Triple H has a new title, Executive Vice President of Global Talent Strategy and Development. No longer does he share the same title as AEW Executive Vice Presidents. I think the Young Bucks and maybe Cody have were given that uh, Executive Vice President title of Talent, Live Events, and Creative, a title that Triple H had held since August 2011 through February 2020, when he was christened with his new title. And The Observer has reported that, that it is a demotion. It does seem to be a demotion. Triple H seemed to acknowledge the report or the speculation around his new title in a recent episode of SmackDown, making a joke about it. It does sound like his new title has a lot to do with the global localization strategy, which we just heard Triple H talk about, which he unveiled, introduced in 2008, excuse me, 2018 at the WWE Business Partner Summit at WrestleMania weekend that year. But WWE's proxy statement, which was published on March 6th, and the Observer report that I'm talking about here, contradict each other, at least on one point, when it comes to what Triple H's talent relations role is. The W proxy statement, an SEC filing, says in his current role, Levesque oversees the company's talent relations and talent development departments. However, Meltzer writes in The Observer in the March 16th issue, Levesque was the head of talent relations, his main job, but also oversaw many other departments in his role as EVP of talent, live events, and creative. So he was moved away from being in charge of talent, and his main duties are now NXT, selling NXT TV rights overseas, and expanding NXT globally. Brad Blum, Vince McMahon's chief of staff, took over Levesque's other duties as executive vice president of operations, overseeing the divisions Levesque was formerly overseeing. It's a change, Meltzer writes. There are those internally and externally who have called it a quiet demotion. The labeling of the new title gives the impression that he's the guy negotiating with talent, but that is one of the things he was removed from doing. Mark Carano no longer reports to Levesque. I believe Mark Carano's title is the head of talent relations, and, and he now reports to Blum. Either way, it is curious that this was kept quiet for nearly four months. So anyway, there's a contradiction there. Paul Levesque, when he does another media call, when the world returns to normal, he can clarify that if he chooses to, and if he's asked about it, which he should be. But this is brought to mind uh, for some people, the subject of whether Vince McMahon feels threatened by uh, Triple H's uh, achievement or success with NXT or in WWE in general. So I feel the urge to provide a reminder that Vince owns a plurality although not a majority of W shares, but because he owns Class B family stock, which we mentioned earlier. Vince McMahon controls the vast majority of W's voting power. A hostile takeover to get Vince out of control of WWE is not possible, at least not until Vince sells a lot more stock. I believe Vince would have to get down to owning less than 10% of all shares to then have less than 50% of the voting power. And that seems way off if that ever happens at all. Again, Vince still owns, even after his most recent deal with Morgan Stanley, 32% of the stock, 70% of the voting power. And with investors and with analysts, Vince is still perceived as the guy who founded and has always been in charge of WWE, even though WWE's popularity has decreased in recent years. You know, despite WWE having an improving financial picture, COVID-19 notwithstanding, WWE is going to continue to do very well financially because of TV rights fees and Saudi money, money that's pretty much guaranteed almost no matter what their rate of popularity is or how many tickets they sell or how many people are subscribing to the W Network, or how much merchandise anybody is selling. It has little to do with the fact that attendance is down, merchandise sales are down, product licensing revenue is down, W Network paid subscribers are down, and even last year, YouTube views are down. You know, the economic effect of Vince's role as head of creative isn't well understood by the investment community. I think that investors and their consultants, 
They study WWE's earnings results a lot. In most cases, they don't follow the product very closely. Vince McMahon is generally perceived as vital to the company. He's the founder. He's been the lead decision maker since 1982. The company has been public since 1999, and the investors don't know a WWE without Vince. George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, who are co-presidents of WWE, were recently and suddenly removed by Vince, and they were WWE's most investor-facing executives. Since then, trust in Vince among investors has probably taken a hit, and you can see very plainly that after Barrios and Wilson were fired on January 30th, or at least after that was made public on January 30th, the stock went from $62 to $46 when the market opened again. WWE's earnings call that followed that did not inspire much confidence that the stock continues to go down. And of course, like the stock market overall, since COVID-19, it's gone down further to the point where W shares are now trading at $33. But none of this highlights anything about the economic effect that Vince McMahon has by remaining head of creative. I've heard Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio say that, oh, now investors are starting to really doubt Vince. And maybe they are as a CEO overall, and maybe with good reason. But I think the core of WWE's problems center around Vince's performance as head of creative. It's obvious to many of us who follow the TV product that Vince's creative habits make for constantly jarring television programming, within which it's pretty much impossible to develop stars who become economic drivers. And Vince's very driven and stubborn personality isn't going to allow him to leave his role as head of creative as long as he's physically capable. Investors would be anxious at the prospect of W losing Vince McMahon as CEO. And somebody like Triple H, Paul Levesque, is probably not ready and would not be well-received as CEO. But I see no reason why Vince couldn't step back from creative while continuing to work as CEO and focus on other areas of the business, which is a scenario I never see him choosing to go into voluntarily. You know, until this era of exploding media rights, the development of wrestling stars is basically all that's driven the peaks in the wrestling business. At best, modern Vince McMahon leaves money on the table, and at worst, WWE is in an unsustainable process of attrition that eventually could even drain its TV rights fees, if its popularity and if its viewership sinks low enough. Again, that doesn't seem likely or eminent, but that's the worst case. In the 2019 industry report I published at the end of January, I argued that Vince's role as head of creative is the cause of most declining key performance indicators. His performance indirectly created the AEW opportunity. Without Vince's bad booking and disgruntling fans and disgruntling talent, the AEW opportunity isn't there. The talent who now works and leads AEW probably is willing to, to sign with WWE if WWE appears to be a friendlier environment for creative satisfaction. Paul Levesque replacing Vince McMahon as head of creative would benefit shareholders long term. It would make WWE a more attractive product to watch, and it would make talent more attracted to work there. And again, nobody in the financial community talks about this issue. They talk about the machine, the nuts and bolts. And in their defense, I don't think wrestling is necessarily a very easy thing to understand, the product itself. But in February, another a research firm that covers W stock, Lightshed. They published an article where, among other topics, they pondered whether Levesque should replace Vince McMahon as head of creative. Brandon Ross from Lightshed is usually the one who appears and asks questions on W conference calls. They wrote in their post, while Paul Heyman continues to write raw, Eric Bischoff was fired after only four months, suggesting that the moves to make those two executive directors of Raw and SmackDown were more symbolic than impactful. Is it time for a reshuffling of WWE's creative team that ultimately removes Vince as the final voice? And if so, should Paul Triple H Levesque, who currently runs WWE's NXT brand, be installed as the head of creative? Under Levesque's leadership, NXT has evolved from a true developmental territory into a fully-fledged third brand. He has long been known as Vince's protege, having sat in on creative meetings dating back to the early 2000s. 
is the time that he oversees the flagship products. So other than that note from Lightshed, I'm not aware of much understanding in the investment community about what's behind WD's popularity decline. Many analysts look to the external media world that they're more familiar with. Often these analysts, you know, but in addition to covering WD stock, they also cover Netflix, you know, companies like Disney, MSG, and they're prone to explain WD's popularity decline as having to do with just the vast variety of entertainment choices that are out there, the increasing media fragmentation, or maybe it's the inverse increased popularity of MMA that's making wrestling uncool. So to explain it, Briefly, in short, WD's packaging is great. They can give you an amazing factory tour, but the product in the box is bad. WD investors understand how the business makes its money, but they don't know how to evaluate the quality of the product. And in fact, they probably rarely sample it. I think it's important for investors to understand and for analysts who are on the earnings calls to ask, why does some WD talent seem so eager to leave the company? If WD is the best wrestling company in the world to work at, if it has the strongest platform, why was WWE not able to sign talent like Kenny Omega, Cody, the Young Bucks, Chris Jericho? Why was WWE not able to retain John Moxley? Why are others asking for their release? Why apparently is there concern, according to a new interview with Brody Lee, where he says that the reason why Paul Levesque told him that he couldn't give him his release was because if he did, he would make WWE look like it was a sinking ship that everybody was trying to jump off of. So why is all that happening? And why is Vince having such trouble developing stars? The decline in a number of key metrics since 2016 coincide with the absence of John Cena, WWE's biggest star of the last generation. Why has WWE for the last several years struggled to create such a star to equal or to replace John Cena? Is it really just a generational transition as George Barrios once said at a, at a telecom conference? WWE's been trying to elevate Roman Reigns since 2015. What happened with that? And if those issues can be downplayed, then ask, does W have a strategy to turn around the trajectory of its direct-to-consumer revenue? This phenomenon that we're seeing in the last couple of years in WV, where the business-to-business revenue from TV partners, from Saudi Arabia, from advertisers and sponsors, that's on the rise. And that's what's driving the increases in revenue and the increases in profit. But coinciding with that is a decline year over year in 2018 and 2019 of revenue that comes from places like live event ticket sales, W network subscriptions, merchandise sales, product licensing. In other words, revenue that comes directly from attracting fans. That's all I have for now. This has been the 100th episode of WrestleNomics Radio, at least for me. I'm Brandon Thurston. You can follow me at Brandon Thurston at WrestleNomics. You can go to WrestleNomics.com and get lots of data about the wrestling business. You can read what I've written about the wrestling business. Thanks to my media distribution partner, the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Thanks to uh, places like Wrestling Inc. and The Wrap for having me uh, on for interviews. And thanks to all the media outlets, wrestling news sites, and so forth that have been crediting WrestleNomics with helping them understand the wrestling news, revealing information from the uh, the proxy and so forth. I believe I'll be on post-wrestling coming up soon. But uh, otherwise, I'll talk to everybody next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.